A man and his wife and his mother-in-law went on vacation to Israel. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000, or you can bury her here in Israel for $150. The man thought about it and told him he would just have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when it would be wonderful to have her buried here and spend only $150? The man replied, a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. <laughs> uh, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Adam, and we are so glad that you are joining us for our Open House Sunday. This is something that we do every year, and we do this not just because we like having fun and games, but if you are new with us, we want you to know that our church is not like some kind of exclusive club. We're just so glad that you are here. You don't even have to believe what we believe. You don't even have to be a Christian to join us. Uh, we're just glad that you're here this Sunday, and we would love to continue to see you in the Sundays to come. But as we get into the conversation for this morning, I want to start with this question, and that is, have you ever believed something that was not true? Have you ever believed something that wasn't true? I asked this question to my wife earlier this week, and she told me that when she was younger, her dad told her that when an airplane flies over her head, that she should kind of duck and take cover because when people flush the toilet on an airplane, that the airplane just ejects it into the air and then it rains down. So my wife has been dodging airplanes way longer than she would care to admit. And I don't want to just throw my wife under the bus. I've certainly believed things that weren't really true, especially when it comes to fruits and vegetables. I get them mixed up. Like I think something's a, a vegetable and I find out it's a fruit. Or I think it's a fruit. Turns out it's a vegetable. Now maybe you haven't experienced this. Maybe you're even having trouble answering this question. So I'm just going to help us all out here because I don't want to be the only one in this boat. So I'm going to maybe make you question everything you've ever believed about fruits and vegetables. So this is uh, zucchini. How many of you think that zucchini is a vegetable? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right. How many of you think that zucchini is a fruit? We're talking biological classifications here. All right. Actually, zucchini is a fruit. Oh, uh-huh. All right. Here's another one. Redemption. These are olives. How many of you think that olives are a vegetable? Raise your hand. Uh-huh. All right. How many of you think that olives are a fruit? All right. Some of you are like, I don't want to embarrass myself either way. I'm just like... All right, turns out olives are a fruit, yep, <laughs> and they're disgusting. All right, here's another one, <laughs> uh, rhubarb. Maybe you've had this in pie along with strawberries. How many of you think that rhubarb is a vegetable? How many of you think rhubarb is a fruit? All right, rhubarb is a vegetable. I messed up the pattern I had all along, so if you were going by that, it's busted. All right, here's one more. Green beans. How many of you think green beans are a vegetable? <laughs> How many of you think green beans are a fruit? All right, green beans are a fruit. What? 
How many of you got all of those right? All right. Yeah, if you don't believe me, go ahead and Google it because everything you read on the internet is true. That's where I got this. And some of you might need some counseling at the end of the service, so I think Kurt will be available for that. But, no, I did this this morning just to say sometimes we believe things that aren't really true. And I think what's important is not only that we believe what's true, but that we have good, solid reasons for why we believe that something is true. And all of the reasons that somebody could come up with for why they believe what they believe in general fits in one of these four categories. Maybe somebody believes what they believe because their parents or their friends or society tells them that it's true. Or maybe they believe something is true for emotional reasons, how it makes them feel. Maybe somebody believes that something is true for religious reasons, like a pastor or some kind of religious community says that it's true. Or you could believe that something is true because it's rational, logical, and coherent. Now, would you say that all of these are equally good reasons to believe that something is true? No, not really. So here's the big question that I really want to lean into this morning, and that is, why should we believe in Christianity? Now, I don't know what your church background is. I'm not going to assume everybody here in this room is a Christian. And so um, we're just going to tackle this question kind of from ground zero. We're starting a new sermon series called Starting Point. And throughout this series, we're going to talk about what is Christianity all about? Why should we even believe in Christianity? And maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, you're thinking, all right, this message is for other people. Or if you're not a Christian, you're like, oh my goodness, you're just trying to convince me about all this religious stuff. All right, wherever you're at, whether you've been a Christian for a while or you aren't really a Christian, I think that all of us, or at least most of us, want the same thing. We want to believe in what is true. And if Christianity is true, then I would love for everybody in this room to believe in Christianity. But I don't want you to just to believe in something because I believe in it and I just want us to be on the same page. If Christianity is not true, then we can all just forget about it. And so my hope for this morning is to know why we believe what we believe and to have a good, solid reason for what we believe in. And so let's continue to answer this question. Why should we believe in Christianity? Should we believe in Christianity because your parents or your friends tell you that Christianity is true. Now, to be honest with you, this is my starting point with believing in Christianity. I was about six years old, and my dad explained to me that I was a sinner, but God loved me. So God sent his son, Jesus, to come to earth and live as a man. And he died on the cross for my sin and then after three days, he was risen from the dead. And if I just believe in Jesus, then I can be forgiven of my sin and go to heaven someday. And I believed what my dad told me, really, just because he was my dad. And maybe that's not the best reason just to believe in something. After all, my wife believed that toilet water was ejected from planes. <laughs> and so you'll have very smart people saying Christianity is true. And you'll have really smart people saying Christianity is not true. 
So is the word of somebody else really a good reason to believe in it? Maybe not. All right. How about for emotional reasons? I think everybody here would say, all right, if you are looking for comfort, peace, meaning, hope, and identity, you can find that in Christianity. But is that really a strong foundation for why you believe in what you believe, how it makes you feel? Because the sad thing is, if this is what your faith is built on, your faith can also be shaken by the other emotions that you feel when you go through the hard times in life, when you're just on that roller coaster ride of hard things happening, the ups and the downs. And I've heard so many stories of people who believed in God, but then they became an atheist when a loved one passed away. Because they questioned, how could there really be a God who is loving and good that allows hard, bad things to happen in this life? All right. Now, what about believing in Christianity for religious reasons? Now, this might feel like a trick question because we're in church. You might be like, if I say no, it sounds like I shouldn't even listen to you. All right. But hear me out. There are so many different religions out there. There are so many kind of holy books out there, if you will. You've got like the Book of Mormon, the Quran, the Bible, and all of these books that are claiming to be the truth, and all of these religions that are claiming to be the religion, they all say different things, things that can't be true at the same time. And so how do you know which religion is true? How do you know what book really comes from God? Well, I think that brings us to this next category. If something is consistent, if it doesn't have errors in it, if it doesn't have inconsistencies, or coherence, like it makes sense, it's logical, it's rational, it's complete, it doesn't have a bunch of holes in it, but it gives you the, the fullest picture. If something is all of those things, is that a good reason to believe that it's true? If a religion is consistent, coherent, and complete, is that a good reason to believe in that religion? If a religious book is consistent, coherent, and complete compared to all the other ones. Is that a good reason to believe in it? I think so. And, and so what we're going to unpack this morning is the question of why should we believe in Christianity and is Christianity really consistent, coherent, and complete? And can that be the foundation for our faith? And before we unpack that a little bit more, let's get a little bit more personal and all of us reflect on this question. What is the starting point for your faith? What is the starting point for your faith? Why do you believe what you believe? Or maybe the starting point for your lack of faith. Like I said before, my starting point in life was my dad telling me that Christianity was true. But my hope for all of us this morning is that we would have a strong foundation for why we believe what we believe. And maybe you grew up in a, a family that taught you about Jesus, and then you go off to college or you're in the workforce, and there's people in your life who are kind of questioning you on your faith, and you're like, I don't know if I really believe that anymore. Or maybe, uh, maybe you believed in Christianity because you found hope and you found peace in it, but you've been going through some really hard times in your life and you're 
If you're honest, you're questioning if God is really real and if God is really good. Or it could be that you haven't claimed to be a Christian and you're just wondering, is Christianity just another religion or is Christianity the truth? And I want to talk a little bit about the perspective of a man named the Apostle Paul. And he was somebody who started out his life very anti-Christian. I mean, he was so anti-Christian that he would go to church gatherings, bust it up, have Christians thrown in jail. He even had Christians killed because of their faith. But then he had one of those turnaround moments in his life where he realized that all along he was believing something that wasn't really true. And he put his belief in Christianity. And he had this turnaround moment and he believed in Christianity Not because culture was headed in that direction and that seemed like the cultural thing to do. He didn't put his faith in Christianity because some good friends were like, no, this is the truth. He didn't put his faith in Christianity because of how it made him feel. It didn't make him feel warm and fuzzy inside. He didn't put his faith in Christianity because of religious reasons. Because he was, very, he was a very religious person before he believed in Christianity. And according to this religion that he was so passionate about, uh, this religion said that Jesus was not really the chosen one of God. It said that Jesus was just a false teacher. But Paul had this turnaround story in his life because he had a personal encounter with Jesus himself. Paul lived around the time when Jesus was alive, and Paul was alive when Jesus was crucified on the cross, and then after being put in the grave, after three days, Jesus rose from the dead, and then Jesus revealed himself to hundreds of other people before going back to heaven. And Paul had a very unique experience in that Jesus showed himself to Paul after he had already gone up to heaven. And so Paul sees Jesus in person and he changes his mind about Christianity because now he believes that Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins and he believes that Jesus really is risen from the grave. The whole Christian faith is really built on this idea of Jesus dying on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and Jesus rising from the dead to prove that God has power over sin and death. And Paul was so convinced of this, he wrote a letter to a church and he said, hey guys, listen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the Christian faith is just a false religion. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then that would mean that there's no forgiveness for our sins. That what Jesus did on the cross was just the execution of a criminal. That didn't do anything. He said that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then it would show that God does not have power over sin and death. There would be no hope of going to heaven. We could just pack up and go home. But Paul did believe in the death of Jesus on the cross. And he did believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And he believes in those things because they are historical events that are reliable, credible, and verifiable. And so the early Christians, when they were telling people about Jesus, they didn't just expect other people to take their word for it. 
Instead, they made a case for why Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins. And they made a case for why Jesus really was risen from the dead. And so this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. You can turn there if you have your Bibles, or we'll have it up here on the screen. But he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Now, there's a phrase in those verses that is super easy to overlook. And that is, just as the scriptures said. What Paul is saying here is that the scriptures, the words in the Bible, talked about the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection before Jesus was even born into this world. Now, I think what's helpful to understand that is that the Bible was not, is not a book that was written all at one time. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. It gives us one complete story, but it was written over the span of about 1,500 years. And so what's so incredible is there are verses in the Bible written a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross that talk about Jesus dying on the cross. There are verses in the Bible that were written a thousand years before the resurrection of Jesus that talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to take a look at some of those verses. And I think what we'll find is that this is not just some kind of random chance for these things to kind of line up. This is not just some kind of human agenda, but this is a miracle that really took place. So I'm going to be in Psalm chapter 22, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And what we're going to take a look at is really a poem written by King David. And in this poem, King David uses all kinds of poetic language to describe a really tough situation that he was going through in that time. And what we're going to see is that Jesus, in really quite a literal way, embodies this poetic language that David is using. So Psalm chapter 22, it starts out with David saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now maybe those words sound familiar to you, and if you've been around church for a while, those verses probably sound familiar to you because that's what Jesus said when he was up on the cross. According to Matthew, it says that at about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabachnai, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And you could just say, all right, Jesus knows about Psalm 22, and so he's just quoting it. Now, that's not like supernatural or anything like that. All right, maybe. But as we keep reading through this poem, we're just going to see more and more and more things line up in such an incredible way. So if we take a look at verse 7 in David's poem, he says, Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. And we see this portrayed in Jesus as he was being led to the cross. 
It says people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. And then in another verse, it says, uh, this is the people talking about God and mo- or Jesus and mocking him on the cross. They're like, he trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Now this isn't even just Jesus talking. This is people who don't believe in Christianity. And it's like they're saying word for word what David wrote down in this poem. These guys aren't in on an agenda. I think we're, what we're seeing is prophetic. All right, look at verse 14. David is writing about his life still, and he says, My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. So David is obviously using some very poetic language here, talking about his life being poured out like water. But check out this account of Jesus after he had given up his last breath on the cross. This is talking about what the Romans did to him. It says, but when they, the Romans, came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with the spear. And immediately, blood and water flowed out. So there is another connection to what David wrote more than a thousand years before this even took place. And then if we take a look at verse 15, it says, My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. And Jesus, when he was hanging up there on the cross, he, it says that he knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. To fulfill scripture, pointing back, I think, to this verse written a thousand years before. And then in verse 16, it says, My enemies surrounded me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Pierced my hands and feet. What does that sound like? It sounds like crucifixion, like somebody being nailed to a cross. But here's the crazy thing. This was written a few hundred years before crucifixion was even invented. And this is really hard for people who don't believe in Christianity. Like, how could... How could this be written before crucifixion was invented? And so a lot of people who are very skeptical of this would say that this is just a bad translation. It was just, that's not right. Even though we have translations that very clearly say this. And I think it's hard to kind of, to stomach or to put together because this points to the fact that this is not just some human agenda. I think this is pointing to something supernatural, that God is real and that Jesus really was fulfilling God's mission for him here on this earth, that he was more than just a good teacher who was crucified. And then lastly, we'll see in verse 18, David said, they divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. And we see this played out with Jesus, and it says, after they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. 
And so this is the case that Paul is making when he says that scriptures talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. And he also says that scripture talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And these verses are a little bit hard to pinpoint and figure out what verses Paul is talking about here. But one of them that Paul might be alluding to is another poem by David where David says, For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You can say that this is pointing to the fact that Jesus only stayed in the grave for three days and then he was risen from the dead. And Paul goes on to make a case for why the resurrection really happened. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, it says that Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers, at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So what he's saying is, all right, if you don't want to take my word for it, if you don't want to believe the word of just a few people that Jesus is really risen from the dead, then there's 500 people that saw Jesus after he was risen. You can do some fact-checking with them. I think a lot of people have trouble believing in the resurrection of Jesus because that's a supernatural event. That's a miracle. And maybe you're even a Christian and you know that the Bible is full of miracles and you know that people have a hard time believing that and you almost want to cover it up and make the Bible sound more like scientific and logical and all of that. But I really don't think that miracles discredit the Christian faith. I actually think that miracles, supernatural events, give credibility to the Christian faith. So hear me out. If there really is a God, and if there's a God who wants to make himself known to us so that we can experience salvation in a relationship with him forever, what would be the best thing that he could do to get our attention? I think something that God could do to get our attention is to step outside of the natural laws, to step outside of what is normally um, observable and normal, and to do something supernatural like a miracle. Now, just because somebody claims to have experienced or seen a miracle, it doesn't mean that you should just take their word for it at face value. I've heard all kinds of claims to the supernatural that maybe should fit the category of like Bigfoot and UFOs and that kind of thing. But I think what's different about the resurrection of Jesus is that this is a historical event that is verifiable by 500 witnesses. This isn't just a few people trying to make up a religion or scam people out of their money. Well, this is something that is reasonable to believe in. And so going back to the question that we started with, why should we believe in Christianity? I think what we're kind of drilling down to this morning is that you don't have to believe in Christianity just because somebody told you that it's true. You don't have to believe in Christianity just because it can feel good to have hope and peace and have Uh, the hope of going to heaven someday. You don't have to believe in Christianity just because somebody like me believes in Christianity and says that it's true. But you can believe in Christianity 
because Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins, and Jesus is really risen from the dead. And these are historical events that are verifiable, reasonable, and logical to believe in. And I think what's important to talk about after giving kind of like a rational case for why Christianity is true, I think I need to say there's no way that I can just persuade somebody here in this room to become a Christian. I know I'm not that persuasive. And really becoming a true Christian is not just an intellectual decision. It's not just about agreeing like, all right, yep, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. But it's a spiritual decision. It's something that happens in conjunction with God working in your heart and giving you the faith to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he really did make a way for salvation through what he did on the cross. And coming to a point of realizing that maybe you've been living for yourself, you are living in sin, basically just doing things that you know that God doesn't agree with in your life. And you can know that God is working in your heart if you are dissatisfied with that and you are willing to say to God, I am done living for myself. I am done following this path of sin. And I want to follow your ways instead. And if you feel like God is working in your heart this morning to make a decision like that, something that you can do is just call out to God and just pray like, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know the way that I've been living is wrong. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sin so that I can be forgiven and have a relationship with you that starts today and goes on for all of eternity. And I want to commit my life to following you. Now, praying a prayer like that isn't what saves you, but it's a way to just uh, communicate your commitment to God. And I know that Uh, We didn't get into it a lot this morning. We are going to continue to unpack what Christianity is all about. What is the path for salvation? What does it take to get to heaven? We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. But if you still have some questions, maybe some dots that you want to connect, we would love to give you this book. It's called How Good is Good Enough. We have a bunch of them at the welcome desk out there. We would love to put this in your hands for you to take home with you. And it really just answers the question, what does it take to get to heaven? How do I know if I'm making the cut? And we'll continue this conversation in the next few weeks. And my hope for this morning is that you will believe what is true and that you will have good, solid reasons for why you believe what you believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are such a loving and awesome God. I thank you that you would make yourself known to us Uh, You make yourself known to us through the Bible, but even in a more intimate way through Jesus living on this earth and then your presence here with us for those of us who believe in you. And God, I I just ask that um, our faith would not be built on a shaky foundation. ask that our faith would not just be built on a foundation of what other people say or whatever our feelings are in that moment, as that our, our faith would be in what Jesus did for us on the cross and dying the death that we deserve to die. as that our faith would be in the resurrection of Jesus and just the, the promise and the hope that we have in that. 
And God, I pray for anybody here in this room who uh, maybe doesn't have a relationship with you. Maybe they're trying to do enough good things to outweigh their bad things. But God, it's not, it's not good people that go to heaven. It's forgiven people. And so I just ask that it, all of our eyes would be open to uh, the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Even if we've been Christians for a while, help us to preach that to ourselves each and every day and to live out that hope that we have in you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.